The scripture reading um, for the Old Testament is taken from Psalm 51, verses 1 to 12. And if you want to follow along in your pew Bibles, it's on page 520. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with Aesop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put in you and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Since early January, as Shane mentioned, we've been looking at uh, the historic faith of the church uh, using the, the creed as uh, our outline, and today we turn to the subject of forgiveness. Uh, I want to read just two verses for you, and uh, these two verses are found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, and if you are going to be following along, the, the reading begins at verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, I have preached lots of sermons over the years about uh, forgiveness, including a few right here at uh, IPC. And I notice that each time uh, I preach one of these sermons that people are very interested in this subject. Uh, in other words, uh, we want to hear about this, but I have also noticed that these sermons can be terribly unsettling. I can't remember a time, as a matter of fact, after preaching a sermon about forgiveness when there wasn't at least one person who needed to have a follow-up conversation. Uh, and usually there were uh, several people, several people who needed to talk further uh, about what this means. Uh, people find themselves struggling with uh, whether or not to forgive and uh, how to forgive, because sometimes uh, even when we want to forgive someone, uh, we can't seem to do it. Uh, we're, we're not even sure what that would look like. Sometimes the person we want to forgive has died, or sometimes that person doesn't even want our forgiveness. 
right? Uh, you know all of the concerns that uh, are raised by this subject. So here we go again. Uh, another sermon about forgiveness. Uh, and I suppose that the very first thing I, I would like you to see this morning is how important forgiveness is. Uh, it's mentioned in the Apostles' Creed. It's mentioned in the Nicene Creed, right there alongside the Trinity. Right, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. So in, 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 in one of the oldest and, and shortest statements of faith that the church has ever produced, there it is. Uh, forgiveness and, and is not just something we do uh, when we can muster the, the courage to do it, but uh, forgiveness as a way of life. Forgiveness lies at the very center of our faith. Uh, several other important beliefs, articles of faith that uh, I hope uh, you also believe, are not included. Uh, I believe in the importance of family. Right? I believe in the importance of respecting the physical body that, that we have been given. Uh, I believe in using the gifts that God has given me for the glory of God. Right? I could mention uh, a bunch of others as well. All articles of faith that are important to me, uh, things I, uh, I believe and hold dear, but they're not in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, or in any of the ancient creeds uh, of the church. Right? But forgiveness has this, this place of prominence. You, you can't talk about Christian faith without also talking about forgiveness. You can't talk about God. Right? Or, or what God is doing in the world without talking about forgiveness. Look, I mean, there are basically two ways uh, to uh, come at this subject. And I want to use whatever time we have this morning to describe those uh, two ways. Uh, the first way, I think, is the more familiar way, uh, namely how uh, forgiveness is our responsibility. Something we're supposed to do, and not just seven times, as Peter uh, hoped, uh, but an unlimited number of times, as Jesus' response to Peter seems to indicate. Right? So that's the first way of talking or, or thinking about this subject. And the second way uh, just as important, uh, uh, but the way that doesn't receive nearly as much attention is our need for forgiveness. And my guess is that we would feel a lot more comfortable talking about this, this, this first part. I mean, this is the, this, the, the part that we know best. It's that second part, our own need for forgiveness, that we tend not to think about. Uh, but this is Lent. After all, and I, I can't let you escape the season uh, without an honest uh, appraisal of your life. In fact, uh, I would say that Good Friday and, and Easter lose their meaning unless we are willing to face some ugly truths about ourselves. So first, this, this obligation uh, we have to forgive. Last week I was reading a, a reflection by William Willimon on this matter of forgiveness. Uh, Willimon used to be the, the dean of the chapel at Duke University. Uh, he's now retired. The current dean, as some of you know, uh, is Luke Powery, a former associate pastor of, of this church. Uh, in any case, uh, Willimon writes, don't you find it curious that the first word, the very first word that Jesus speaks in agony on the cross is Father, forgive. 
Such blood, this is still Willamont, such blood, violence, injustice, crushed bone and ripped sinew, the hands nailed to the wood with all of the possible words of recrimination, condemnation, and accusation, the first thing Jesus says is, Father, forgive. Earlier in the series on on, uh, basic Christian beliefs, I said that in addition to being fully divine, Jesus was also fully human. And, and here, uh, on the cross, he shows us what it looks like to be human. Fully human, perfectly human. And no one has ever been able to, to be perfectly human, but here Jesus shows us what that looks like and, and, and what it sounds like. And the first words out of his mouth are words of forgiveness. Uh, Willimon, in fact, uh, I like this phrase, Willimon calls this preemptive Uh, forgiveness. Uh, Jesus forgave before anyone asked for it. I mean, we like to say, well, forgiveness is fine as as long as the other person knows how deeply he hurt me and, 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 and if he admits that he did something wrong. I, I say that. I'm guessing a few people here do as well. But here is Jesus, perfect humanity, and he is forgiving, preemptively forgiving, And Jesus says to Peter in our scripture reading from Matthew, do this over and over again until it becomes second nature to you. Make this a matter of habit. Make this part of your deepest identity so that when they think about you, they think, oh, Peter, he's such a forgiving person. You are not people who hold grudges. You know, I'm talking about church people. You, you, you are not people who keep score over slights and hurts. You are not people who enjoy the feeling of moral superiority. Because let's face it, we all enjoy being right. right? No, you, uh, you church people are, are people who forgive as easily and as naturally as you breathe. When people think of us, when people think of IPC, they should say, oh, what a forgiving group of people. One of the heroes of my childhood was uh, Corey Tenboom, mostly because she was Dutch and Christian, and everybody I knew in my childhood was Dutch and Christian. And I, I, I'm guessing many of you have heard this story before, but maybe it's the sort of story that we can't hear often enough. Right. Uh, Corey Tenboom and her family were arrested by the Nazis for hiding Jews in their home during the Holocaust. And uh, she and her sister uh, Betsy went, uh, were sent to the Ravensbrück uh, concentration camp. Uh, but Betsy died just days before the, the camp was uh, liberated. Anyway, Corey Tenboom went on to become uh, a missionary, preaching God's forgiveness and, and the need for reconciliation. Uh, Corey's devout moral principles were uh, tested uh, one day when she came face to face with one of her tormentors. Uh, After a speech she gave at a church in Germany, uh, a man came to her and said, "Uh, you mentioned Ravensbrück in in your talk, and I was a guard there. Uh, But since that time, I've become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the, the cruel things I did there but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. And with that, his uh, hand came out and he said, will you forgive me? Uh, and Corey writes, uh, I stood there and could not. 
His hand was held out for seconds, but uh, to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I have ever had to do. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I know that too. Forgiveness, and I I love this, the, the way she puts it, forgiveness is an act of will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the healing. And so mechanically, I held his hand. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The the current started in, in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. I had never known, uh, Corey Tenboom writes, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. Forgiveness, not just once or twice, not just seven times as, as Peter hoped, but every time. Forgiveness as a way of life. Forgiveness as something we stand for in this church. As I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, that's one way to come at this subject, and it's a good way, and there isn't a person here, and I include myself, there isn't a person here who doesn't need to be reminded of the central importance of forgiveness in the Christian faith. And one reason we tell stories about saints, can we call Corey Ten Boom a Protestant saint? One of the reasons we tell these stories is that we are inspired when we hear these stories to live and act as she did. I mean, if Corey Ten Boom could forgive in those circumstances, then certainly I can forgive a member of this church who, who made me feel less than I am, who, who bruised my ego one day, who, who shamed me in front of other people, whatever it was, certainly I could do that. But it occurred to me last week as I read and, and, and reflected on this subject that that's, not, that's only one part of the story. In fact, when you think about forgiveness in that way, you you become the main character. You become the hero of your own story. Look at me. I found the courage to reach out and forgive. (laughs) Look at me. I forgave that person who hurt me, who didn't deserve to be forgiven, who, who didn't even ask me for my forgiveness. It's a sad commentary on human nature, but even in our best moments, even when we are doing the right thing, we find a way to twist it and mangle it. So forgiveness becomes a matter of pride. So as I said, there's another way to come at this matter of forgiveness, and that other way is my own need for forgiveness. And and your need for forgiveness. I'm not sure why, but somehow this angle is uh, seldom mentioned anymore, at least in the church today. Maybe generations ago it, it, it was, but not today. So, I mean, tell me, w- w- when do we face up to our own bad behavior? When are we honest uh, about our own faults? When do we acknowledge how uh, deeply we hurt other people and therefore our own need for forgiveness? The, the tendency, as I think you know, is to focus on how others have hurt us. But what about all the times we have fallen short and all of the times 
we could have been more like Corey Ten Boom and, and, and less like the pitiful creatures that we usually are. As most of you know, the, the season of Lent began very early in church history. There, there's evidence that as early as the first century, a few years after the death and resurrection of, uh, of Jesus, that, that Christians were using these weeks before Easter to get ready. And, and, and to prepare themselves for the big celebration on, on Easter morning. And it was most often uh, new converts who used these weeks before Easter to get ready to learn as much as they could about the faith. And, and, and then on Easter morning, they would be baptized and, and they would be given a, a new name and, and they would come up out of the water as new creations altogether, as the Apostle Paul puts it. Uh, but there was another category in those early years of, of preparation, uh, sometimes believers would fall away from the church. Uh, sometimes uh, they would betray their faith in the face of persecution. And, and then later, uh, they would come back and, and ask to be restored. And as you can imagine, the, the earliest gatherings of believers had mixed feelings about these people. They, they knew their obligation to forgive, uh, but trust had been broken. And, and, and somehow it needed to be restored. And so Lent uh, became a time for these other believers to demonstrate their repentance and, and to show their remorse and, and to be restored to full fellowship on Easter morning. A few years ago, a, a, a friend of mine from what was then Czechoslovakia uh, told me stories about uh, the days following the dissolution of the old Soviet Union. And uh, her own family, she said, uh, had endured great hardships for being Christian and and for going to church on Sunday. A university education, just to give one example, uh, was limited to those who were members of the Communist Party. And so her family, as uh, faithful members of the church, were denied this and, and many other uh, privileges as well. But when the Communist Party lost power and when those old discriminatory laws were, uh, were no longer applied, uh, suddenly uh, there was this influx of new members. Uh, new faces at the church. Uh, people who had uh, uh, joined the party to enjoy all of the benefits of, of party membership and had stayed away from church uh, during those years suddenly wanted full inclusion in the body of believers. Uh, it was a, a, a profoundly difficult moment, she said, in that church's life and in the life of many churches in Eastern Europe, I'm guessing. I mean, what were they supposed to do with these people? Put them on the church council? I don't think so. Ask them to teach Sunday school? I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I have thought about this story uh, quite often over the years since I, I first heard it. And it occurs to me that it's easy to see their fault. It's always easy to see the fault in other, other people. And, and, and they're terrible cowardice. And, and, I mean, so it's easy to be angry with them. But then it occurred to me, what if I am one of those people? In fact, in, in my rare moments of honesty, I know that I am one of those people. I regularly betray my faith. When I am honest about it, I know that I do not live out what I believe on a day-to-day, hour-by-hour basis. I fail. And I fail spectacularly. And yet, I come here every week and I expect you to welcome me. I expect you to treat me as, as one of the family. 
And yet, I know better. I am no Corey Tenboom. Right? I am a poor excuse for a Christian believer. This season of the year, and it's more than half over now, but this season of the year could be for us a time of radical self-examination. It could be a time when we fearlessly take inventory of our lives. Right? In preparation for Good Friday and Easter. But I wonder how many of us do that. Uh, most of us are familiar with 12-step programs. It was the, the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith, uh, who based their program on the Christian principles of, of re- repentance and salvation. But, but somehow Christians seem to have forgotten these things, and today it's only 12-step programs who, who, who keep this idea alive. So let me remind you briefly of how this works. The, the program begins, of course, with an admission of powerlessness in the face of alcohol, as I think you know, and we could just as easily say sin. We admitted to ourselves that we were powerless over sin and that our lives had become unmanageable. That's the starting point. And then, listen to this, steps 4 through 10, number 4, made a searching and fearless inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked Him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. I I think about those steps which which every recovering addict is required to take, and and then I think about us, and I, I think about myself, and I... I think about that 30-second prayer that we pray at the beginning of worship and we go through it so fast so that we can get on to the more important business of the morning. We call that a prayer of confession. We have neglected, you and I have neglected a central tenet of our faith. Let me ask you something. Do you want to be made well? Uh, This was the question that Jesus asked the, the paralyzed man who found himself by the pool of Bethsaida for 38 years. Do you want to be well? And of course, our response to that is, yes, more than anything, but you know that the circumstances of life always get in the way, and Jesus cuts us off at that point as he cut off the man by the pool because he's tired of our excuses. And he says, then here's what you do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Take a careful look at yourself. Do some honest self-appraisal. Look into your heart. Be fearless about it. And then ask me to remove all of those defects of character. We still have a few weeks before Good Friday. There is still time. There is more that you and I could and should do. Let us pray. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. 
According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing heart. Amen.